This is Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. Construction Law Today is a podcast about current topics in American construction law. Your host for Construction Law Today is David Suchar. Our podcast, Construction Law Today, began in July 2019 and is now in its third season. In our first two seasons, my good friend Buzz Tarlow produced 25 episodes on a variety of timely and interesting topics in the field of construction law. In our upcoming season, I expect to produce similar podcasts at the rate of about one new podcast per month. As always, we welcome your questions and comments. Please let us know what we can do to improve the podcast. The contact information for Construction Law Today is found at the end of this podcast. On behalf of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law, thanks for listening. Welcome back to Construction Law Today. Today we have a very interesting topic and a great guest. The topic is dispute resolution boards, dispute review boards, DRBs. So these are the boards that keep some larger construction projects on task and make sure that smaller disputes don't evolve into larger ones. We have with us on our show, Joe Siebold from Arcadis. So Joe is a very experienced licensed civil engineer based in Los Angeles. He has almost 50 years of construction management and construction claims experience. He's the past president of the CMAA. He has done a great deal of expert testimony on construction disputes, and he has experience in more than 50 DRBs. Arcadis, as you probably know, is a longtime sponsor of the ABA Forum on Construction Law. It's one of the world's largest engineering and consultancy firms, 36,000 people in over 70 countries, 7,000 in the U.S. alone. We are going to talk with Joe today. Joe's not a lawyer. Most of our guests are, but Joe has a unique perspective on DRBs. These are processes that lawyers are not often participants actively in. And so Joe is going to teach us a bit about DRBs and roles that lawyers and experts can play in them. Joe, without further ado, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, David. I look forward to chatting with you about this. I have to say, 50 years sounds like a long time, makes me feel old. But, you know, in the construction industry, there's never a dull moment. And DRBs are just another aspect about that. That is absolutely true. So, Joe, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your role in the construction industry, and then we'll talk a bit about DRBs. Sure. So, I, you know, I started out as your traditional engineer, got my license, but before too long, got into the field of construction management, hence my involvement in CMAA, and more specifically in construction disputes. Honestly, I never thought 50 years later, I thought that I would still be involved in construction claims, but here I am. Well, we're glad to have you and glad that you're still involved doing all sorts of good work. So tell our audience, if you would, what is a DRB? Sure. As you said, it's a dispute resolution board. You know, I think it's another attempt by the construction industry to find a way to facilitate resolution, recognizing that the disputes we deal with in our industry are so specialized. And so the DRB panel is a very specialized group of people that presumably are very knowledgeable about construction and the kinds of problems that we run into. So I take it that 
most of these panels are made up of three people. Who are the types of people? What backgrounds do they have in terms of who makes up these DRB panels? So as you would expect, and typically the parties select their representatives and then the two appointees select the chair. Contractors typically will nominate an ex-contractor on this, you know, believing that the contractor will understand their perspective. An owner may be able to find an ex-owner, a retired owner, maybe a designer, maybe a technical specialist. Let's say it's a tunneling job. They want a, someone who has a good geotechnical background. So that's who the owner might select. Many times, but not always, then the two parties will select the third, the third could be an attorney, but oftentimes is not. So it might be in yet another contractor or someone else out of the industry. In terms of lawyers who advise clients, what is typically their role in these DRB processes? Well, as you said at the outset, uh, you know, DRBs are almost explicitly written to say, keep the lawyers out, no offense. But, but the belief of these disputes should be resolved by technical people who understand it. But let's not kid ourselves. You know, behind it all is a contract and explicit responsibilities and risks that have been allocated. So in every DRB I've been involved with, behind the scenes are lawyers who are advising, offering opinion, providing suggestions so that, quite frankly, each party puts their best foot forward in in presenting it to the DRB. And for the process itself of the DRB, Joe, this runs the gamut, everything from periodic meetings to hearings that have binding opinions, right? And everything in between. So there's really two parts. Most projects with a DRB, they include quarterly visits by the DRB panel, not to address anything in dispute, but to keep themselves informed. So they're, quote, ready if and when a dispute would come about. But then if there is, in fact, a dispute, then both parties typically would agree to submit it to the panel. A hearing is scheduled and then the fun begins. Mm-hmm. So when are DRBs used most in practice? Well, I've been involved in projects where DRBs were virtually at the outset. And of course, you've got to assemble the panel. But before too long, there might be a major underground dispute and the parties can't come to agreement. And they will continue virtually till the end of the project. And most DRB, I'll say panels, expire at the time the project is complete. So that DRB process is only available during the life of the project. I've never done a DRB myself. I practice construction litigation in the Midwest and then insurance coverage for construction all across the country. Have done work where DRBs were involved on larger West Coast mega projects. Is that the the type of project where you more typically see DRBs? Yeah, certainly I have. And I think because there's a time and expense, uh, an assumption that there's a complexity that warrants the use of a DRB. In my experience these days, you almost always see a reference to mediation, some alternative dispute process. But I think on the bigger projects, as you point out, the mega projects, it's almost becoming, I'll say on the West Coast, an expectation in the contract documents that that is an available resolution process. In the DRB process leading up to hearings, what is typically your role in the process? Keep in mind, it's a dispute undoubtedly turning around some technical issue. And so once the parties agree to submit it to the DRB, I'll tell you, probably on both sides, the contractor and the owner, assuming those are the two parties in dispute, they both have day jobs. They're building the project. And the effort necessary to prepare and get to the DRB 
is very time consuming. So that is often a role that I will play that I will be assigned the responsibility to sort of lead, coordinate, and do a lot of the heavy lifting on the way to the DRB hearing. And so you're prepping for these hearings, you help with the presentations at the hearings. How else can an expert consultant like you add value on a DRB process? All right. Well, so, you know, with my claims background, quite frankly, at the very start, if I feel that there are areas, uh, a call of weakness, a potential liability on the part of my client, you know, it's my duty to inform them, advise them. That may shrink the area of dispute if, in fact, the owner would say, yeah, you know what, we're not going to submit this portion to the DRB. I will help draft the position paper. I'll say an advantage I'll say, that I bring or, or someone that's not involved day to day is I don't bring that bias, that the investment that many of the project people have. You know, they've been battling out that issue for weeks or months. I bring a fresh look and hopefully a more objective, straightforward perspective on it. How about in your preparation process, your role at hearings, how have you worked with lawyers to advocate for your clients in the DRB process? Make no mistake, counsel is involved behind the scenes every step of the way. So they're helping to review the position papers that are submitted in advance. Typically, rebuttal papers are prepared. So counsel is involved in reviewing all of that, as well as the presentation itself. Again, to make sure that we're being consistent with what the intent of the contract is, putting our best foot forward. And like I said about myself, the same is true of, of attorneys. They bring a fresh perspective as well. So I think they play a vital role, though, again, behind the scenes, behind the curtain. In terms of just big picture thoughts about DRBs, I know the intent is to bring expedited resolution to disputes. Does it work? Have you seen it work in practice? I have, and it works in a number of ways. First and foremost, I think it is a more friendly forum. I can't think of a DRB where whatever role I played, as I would observe the behavior and conduct of the owner and the contractor, it's much more amiable. You know, it's not hostile because, oh, by the way, the DRB panel has been meeting with them regularly. So it's kind of a coffee clutch, so to speak. Right. So it starts off on a more friendly basis, which I think allows both sides to present their position in a more balanced fashion uh, without uh, sometimes some of the hostility uh, that you see. So the mindset is really good, for one. And then two is if everybody's comfortable with the DRB, their recommendations can bring great weight. And I've seen it move the parties towards resolution. So it sounds like the process of having quarterly or other periodic meetings where there are no disputes, that helps out when you actually have a dispute that blossoms. Yes, but there's also some cautions there. Those quarterly meetings can, I don't want to say can be abused, but both sides need to be mindful of how the DRB is informed during those quarterly visits, what's said, what's not said. But apart from those little kinds of issues, yes, the quarterly meetings are very valuable. Let's talk about some of the potential pitfalls for a DRB process. What have you seen in terms of things that people should be mindful for, should try to avoid, should try to prevent? Right. There's lots all along the way. It starts at the beginning. You want to make sure you select and or assemble a DRB panel that not only you're comfortable with, but you feel like even the, the nominee from the other side is going to be fair and balanced. I think everybody expects your nominee is at least going to be able to see your side. You don't expect that he or she will agree with you every time, but at least is open-minded enough. 
Frankly, I've seen panels where that could not be assumed, that they were slanted and therefore you would be disappointed in the outcome. So that's the beginning of where it can go wrong. And then you mentioned the quarterly visits. You want to make sure that you're not allowing either side to create an impression or bias with your panel as you're keeping them up to date on the project. A worry that I would have, I think, is you're right. Your side is absolutely right. But in the interest of keeping the peace, the DRB wants to split the baby and find some middle ground. And so they don't give you the justice that you deserve on a dispute. Do you see that happen? Oh, you bet. You bet. A couple of things happen that can, I'll say, go wrong once you get the recommendation. Yeah, I think some DRB panels are trying to make everybody happy. And I think that's maybe a little bit of human nature. I think in other cases, because this oftentimes is a panel that includes technical experts, you know, engineers can't stop being engineers, take it from me. And <laughs> as they hear as they hear the positions expressed from both sides, sometimes they'll develop their own theories. Well, that's not how it's supposed to work, right? They're supposed to either decide in favor of one or the other and not invent new theories. And so sometimes they get a little creative and that doesn't help resolution either. Do you see in practice people who serve on these panels where that's a lot of what they do? And do you think that impacts their behavior as panelists? Well, absolutely. I'd like to think that even though for many of them are retired, right? And because of their reputation and standing in the industry, they become popular choices to serve on DRBs. I will tell you that I have been, again, at DRBs where the panelists start comparing their calendars as we try to schedule future dates. And it's obvious that virtually from day to day to day, they're all traveling around the country serving on different DRB panels. I say all of that to say, oh, I don't begrudge them their involvement, but clearly it becomes a primary source of income. And can you not blame yourself for wondering whether in some way their recommendations are influenced with, I want to be popular. I don't want to turn anybody off such that I won't be a potential nominee on the next one. So it's a delicate balance there. So we've talked about some of the pitfalls. When we return, we'll talk about best practices. We'll be right back with more Construction Law Today. PMA Consultants is a leading provider of project advisory, construction claims analysis, and expert witness services. Our experts have a wealth of experience in identifying, analyzing, preparing, and presenting claims and disputes on construction and engineering projects. PMA is proud to be a longtime supporter of the ABA Construction Law Forum and its members. Connect with our construction claims experts on our website, pmaconsultants.com. Welcome back to the podcast. So Joe, when we broke, we were talking about pitfalls in the DRB process. And now I'd like to talk with you about best practices. So can you tell our audience, what are some process points, some procedural turns that can make DRBs more effective? Sure. I think it starts with making sure both sides 
agree on what's in dispute. I've been involved in DRBs where there are two separate statements of dispute that are then given to the DRB. And you would think it's two different issues. And imagine the position that puts the DRB in. So the term is developing a joint statement of dispute that at least gives the DRB a fighting chance of giving you some advice or recommendations that you can use. You know, others are, I think, bifurcating merit from damages. In my experience, both parties typically need more help on, all right, who's right, who's wrong, where's the degree of liability? We can work out the damages. We don't need help working out the damages. Once we right. come to agreement as to who's responsible for what. So there are things like that, I think, are becoming more commonly used in DRBs that improve the outcome. Let's focus on the last one you discussed, on bifurcating. How can bifurcating the merits from the damages analysis, how can that help with the DRB procedure? I think for a couple of reasons. As I said, I think both parties get more wrapped around the axle about merit most times than the damages. And that's where they need the help. And so if a DRB can demonstrate or convince the parties as to who's right, who's wrong, or to whatever degree, oftentimes the parties, like I say, don't need any help to work out the damages that flow from that. The other reason, though, is when you ask a DRB to opine on the damages, now you're increasing their burden and their involvement multiple because they got to get into the cost records. My opinion is if we argued one day about merit, we're going to argue three days about damages. Right. Uh, so I don't think the parties need the help, and you really don't want to ask the DRB to opine on damages. Right. And so there you, you extend all of, of everything. You're making it more like a arbitration or mediation than a DRB. Exactly right. You and I discussed the idea of neutrality for DRBs. What can be done in terms of procedure to help with making sure that the DRB panel is neutral? Remember what I said, you start with making good selections at the outset. Right. There are always express provisions about potential conflicts that need to be disclosed. So pick the right panelist that's qualified and, and clearly at arm's length from any of the relationships. Secondly, is be mindful of your quarterly meetings. You do want to keep the DRB abreast, but you don't want to be poisoning the well at the same time, either side. And that's improper because then if and when an issue, that issue is presented to the DRB, they've already got a preconceived notion. And that's not the way a DRB panel should work. So you want to make sure that doesn't happen also. We've also discussed the composition of the panel, whether it's folks who are contractors or designers or owners. In terms of lawyers, what about lawyers' roles on panels, and do you like seeing lawyers play that role? I think that's becoming more and more desirable on the part of owners as these panels are assembled. I think at the outset, you didn't see a lot of lawyers, all technical contractor people. And I think both sides often felt like, well, but wait a minute, you're ignoring the contract. You're kind of applying your practical experience to determine what your recommendation is. You're not placing enough weight on the contract. So I think certainly for owners, and I think contract as well, if they believe their position is founded in some contract provision, a lawyer more likely than anybody else is going to be the one who says, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I know that's how it's normally done, but this contract says this. So I'm seeing more and more lawyers serve as chairs on these panels. And as chairs, do you see lawyers playing that role of, of narrowing the dispute, making it more exacting in terms of what's the issue between the parties? 
Yeah, I think so, because, you know, that's your trade. You understand how to manage a dispute and the resolution process. And I've seen DRBs kind of get, you know, the wheels come off the track because engineers, we love talking about and contractors love talking about construction issues and you can get sideways that way. What about on your side of things? So not the panel itself, the participants, the people who are doing some battle and talking about the disputed issues. What are some best practices for experts and consultants in the DRB hearings? It's critical to make sure you get all the information around that issue. And we all know, while documentation is getting better, it never (laughs) reflects the complete record of what happened, who knows what and why things happened. So interviewing and making sure you've got the complete story so that as you or as I would present the position on behalf of my clients, I'm not unwittingly exposing myself to some surprise play on the other side, simply because I was unaware that an inspector out in the field, for example, said X. So good background research to make sure you've got all that information, I think is paramount. In terms of the role that lawyers play as advisors, guiding the process for their clients, working with you as an expert, What are some of the issues that come up most that lawyers can help out with? You almost always first go to, all right, you've got a DRB provision in this contract. Are their recommendations binding or non-binding or under what circumstances are they binding? And I'm not going to say that their client isn't aware of that, but there's a healthy discussion about whether there's a subsequent recourse or not to that. The other big issue is, and this is kind of changing, we'll talk about this perhaps a little bit more, is the admissibility of the recommendations made by the DRB and how does that influence whether or not a party wants to go forward on a particular issue? Yeah, I know that is becoming a bigger issue, admissibility and the oral or written rulings by a DRB. You see that come up more and more in subsequent litigation. Tell us about some of the considerations there in terms of negotiating the contract up front or negotiating what results from any DRB hearing? So typically it's already written in the contract. And I want to say some time ago, it was more common to see that the ruling or the recommendation would be admissible. And I think the intent there was to sort of scare the parties of, hey, well, listen, if you don't agree with the recommendation, when you go to arbitration or trial, somebody's going to wave that document and say, look, three smart people came away with this opinion. Do you want to ignore that? What then happened is that sometimes these DRB panelists were being called into that subsequent arbitration or litigation. So the DRBF, the foundation that sponsors all of this, has said, you know what, let's not allow it to be admissible because we don't want our panelists dragged into a downstream dispute years sometimes after they provided that recommendation. So that's a big deal about the weight of that recommendation. Yeah, it seems to me like we have mediation with all sorts of protections, right? No one can admit what goes on in the the mediation itself, but to have the opinion of three experts and to have that used in front of, gosh, a jury, right? Someday, more likely in arbitration, but that's going to be accorded a lot of weight, I would think. So it's a huge issue. It's a big deal. In terms of whether the, the resolution, whether the results are admissible in future proceedings and whether you get an oral or a written pronouncement from the DRB. 
I know those things are put into contracts. Are they also negotiated before hearings so the parties say, whatever this board decides, we'll live with in terms of what results from the hearing? Yeah, I've been involved in issues where, I think I may have mentioned it before, that the two parties have argued over a particular issue. Maybe it's not so big in nature, but you know, they're exhausted by it. And both will agree, while our contract says this is advisory, it's not binding, we both agree that whatever they come up with, that's the end of it. We both agree that that will accept their recommendation as binding and go forward from there. So yes, you can sort of renegotiate on a case-by-case basis what weight you want to give the DRB recommendation. What about in terms of trends, the way that things are moving in this area in terms of admissibility of recommendations? What do you see as the general trend in this area? In general, DRBs are a popular, meaning mutually acceptable resolution process. And so I think both sides are expecting that that option is now included in contracts so that both sides feel like, hey, we're going to inevitably end up with a dispute. We have a quick and ready way to try to resolve that dispute. The consequence of that is as more and more DRB panels are being convened, the roster has got to grow. And there's a little bit of a challenge meeting the demand of DRBs so that you're not recycling the same people over and over again that you're maybe not too crazy about. So I think the DRBF is doing what they can to expand that roster. And uh, I would tell anybody listening up here, if if serving as a DRB panelist sounds of interest to you, go to the DRBF uh, website and explore whether that might be uh, something of interest to you as well. And lastly, is uh, we talked about it being more popular on the West Coast. I'm surprised I'm not seeing it more on the East Coast, but I expect it'll grow geographically as well. We've talked a bit on other podcasts about emerging dispute resolution processes like early dispute resolution and others. And it appears that use of DRBs is growing. What do you see in terms of the future of DRBs and some things that will happen with them? As I say, I think geographically we'll expand into the East Coast. There are mega projects going on over there. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sort of a modified format. You know, a three-panel DRB on a $5 million project probably isn't economically feasible or logical, but maybe a one-person DRB. That role filled by just one individual who is at the ready, mutually acceptable to both sides, but provides that avenue of rapid resolution. So I think that might be a tangent that might be employed in the industry. Right. It seems like the use of DRBs not widespread on, say, the $10, $20 million project, right? And so is that what you're saying, that you might find one person, uh, DRB type actor working on projects like that more often? Right. Exactly right. Joe, you've been a fantastic guest. Thanks so much for telling us and teaching us about DRBs. And thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure, David. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. All rights relating to this podcast are owned and controlled by the American Bar Association. No reproduction or reuse of this podcast is permissible without the express written consent of the American Bar Association. For more information about Construction Law Today, or if you have any questions or comments, you may contact our host, David Suchar, at david.suchar at maslin.com. Our podcast is produced with the assistance of Peak Recording Studios in Bozeman, Montana. Thank you for listening, and look for our next edition of Construction Law Today.